You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we speak with Krista Myers of Equestrian Entrepreneur about how to create a stable profit for your business, financial health strategies, and opening up about finances. Krista Myers is the founder of Equestrian Entrepreneur. Since its conception in 2020, Equestrian Entrepreneur has helped over 250 equestrian business owners get back on course with their financial operations and goal to create stable profit. The clients they work with are from every part of the equine industry, such as farriers, racing programs, riders, boarding facilities, body workers, and more. What they all have in common is the desire to understand and change the course of their financial story. A horse girl at heart and a bookkeeper, business analyst, and strategist by profession, Krista is a believer in the power of turning dreams into reality. When not immersed in analyzing financial reports or mentoring fellow equestrian entrepreneurs, you'll find her in the barn with her seven-year-old Dark Bay OTTB mare or traveling North America for views of wildflowers, mountains, horses, and searching for the best vanilla latte. Hi, Krista. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, We're excited to talk to you about your business and everything that you do to help other equestrian businesswomen. Uh, So thanks for being here. Hi, Jen. Thank you for having me. I am quite excited to be on here and talking to you both um, and having this conversation. Yeah. So um, kind of just starting out, can you talk about what your um, experience and and maybe uh, education is in bookkeeping and, and finance that gave you the confidence to start your own company? Absolutely. Um, so we're actually going to start the story in my teens. Um, yeah. I was raised by a trucker. Um, and part of that was being an employee for him. Um, and yeah. so we were doing bookkeeping for him from a very young age. And that did very much start with the plastic bags and the receipts going there and sorting from that. Mm-hmm. So we have the bookkeeping ready for his accountant. Um, and then I went into uh, business when I was in university at Brock University um, and took some accounting classes in there. At that point, I hated money, hated math. Um, At that point, I was a broke horse girl, Um, you know, in your, I think I was probably 19 to 20, or I guess 18 to 21. Um, But took the courses because they're prerequisites. Um, It wasn't until I was graduated from university, um, I was in my first big girl job, where I was handling shipping medical machines, like multi-million dollar medical machines all across the world. When I started to get into accounting um, and saw that I was actually one good at it, despite being terrible at math, um, and that you, when you do your job really well, you get more tasks put onto you, um, yeah. and that's how I discovered, I guess, more my like my love for not even my love, my my skills for 
looking at numbers, getting the data into um, your books properly, and then pulling information out of that so we can use them to leverage your growth, um, to you know cut back your expenses, to keep you from going under. Um, so then I transitioned from my first big girl job into my second under purchasing and continuing with accounting. Um, and that's when the world shut down. And so I had just started back in college for business analysis um, because I love being able to identify bottlenecks, inefficiencies, and with horses and money, um, that would come in very handy when I started my business in 2021. Um, so it was the education and experience of growing up as well as university, as well as like the in-person hands-on experience um, mm. when it comes to bookkeeping. Um, so that gave me the confidence to start it. And I didn't start it as an equestrian bookkeeping firm. I said, hey, I'm at rock bottom, guys. So I'm starting a business. And mm. what happened was everyone from my past was reaching out course people, previous coaches asking for help. Um, and at that point, I was out of the equestrian industry, out of the sport. Um, I was burnt out and broken. And then the horse people and the horses were calling me home through there. So it's really what gave me that confidence. Um, and now three years later, we are a team of myself and two other bookkeepers. Oh, nice. And um, how did you kind of make that leap into saying I'm going to be a business owner? Uh, it was after a year working with my, one of my best friends, she had graduated from chiropractic school and she was opening up her own equine chiropractic um, pra practice. And then I said I would help her once she got out of school. So we put the foundations on, we got her registered, we got her um, somewhat of a bookkeeping routine at that point. And then I really helped her grow her business. And at the end of the year, I was helping her as well as a photography friend. And they both went, hmm. I think it might be time to start your own business because you're helping us a lot. Um, and that is what really gave me that, that push to open it myself. That's great. I was just having this conversation with somebody recently about uh, where I am in my life. And I was like, oh man, so, so often I wish I had become interested or engaged in business and learning business practices much earlier, or, you know, the things that I'm interested in now, I wish I was 20 years old and doing it. But both of us have realized that a lot of times, all that experience that you have from when you're younger is what sets you up to be successful for what you have now. And, you know, in, in my job, I actually feel a lot like I probably wouldn't be as good at it as I am if I didn't have all the experience at the farms and hands-on and the knowledge that I gained over my life. So I completely understand where all of that comes in. Um, it's nice to know that you had some friends to give you a push into mm -hmm. the next step. Absolutely. Um, and I grew up in the barn, like, you know, I it was after two years of summer camp, my grandma dragged me to the local barn and just put me in front of everyone until someone was like, yes, I will take her as a volunteer, drop her off next weekend. Um, and that's where I learned like that grittiness of horse girl and just, if you want it, go and make it happen. And I know it's not as simple as saying that, um, but making those steps to just making it happen. And that's my been my approach to business. I'm not going to put something out there that's not 
valuable that's not helpful to people, but I'm not going to wait on something to make it perfect and then release it to the world. Hmm. And you have two employees. So when did you make the decision to expand that way? Yeah. So the team members are contractors instead of employees so that they can kind of set their own pace. They're two equestrians as well, Um, Madison and Chrissy, and I brought them on this year. Um, So Madison is out in the prairies in Canada uh, and she does bail racing and has her own thoroughbred syndication program um, and schooling behind her for agriculture and business. Um, And then Chrissy is in New York, but currently in uh, Ocala. So jealous of that. She has a master's of accountancy and works in the pharmaceutical world for accounting, financial analysis, actually. Um, So I brought those two wonderful ladies on this year so that I could continue bringing on more bookkeeping clients um, and manage more of the, okay, and this is what your bookkeeping, this is what we can do with it. Um, And Chrissy and uh, Madison manage the day-to-day, get the reports ready, um, and then, of course, use that money from their contracting to fund their own horse girl dreams as well. (laughs) I like that you keep it in the equine industry. I, I feel like this is such a taboo subject for so many people in the equine industry. They just don't want to talk about it. They like to stick their heads in the sand. And so how do you think we can more get more people talking about it, more engaged in actually looking at their finances and having like a reality of what's going on? Uh, That is such a good question. Okay. So I think one, I think, the obvious answer to that is to continue having these conversations, um, whether it is on a podcast or in private. Um, you know, I used to be standing ringside and you would hear about money in horses and with equestrians, but it was through like those jokes of how awkward laughter of disguising how much struggle and pain they were going through. Um, and so instead, you know, let's I've, and what I've been doing is hosting network events or putting on uh, virtual network events as well. And opening a space for these conversations to be had where there is no shame or we take away that shame and address address it um, so that we can talk about money and then move forward with it. But right now we've prescribed to this broke horse girl narrative. Um, And yes, horses are expensive and we buy them lots of things that we feel like we need to. Um, And we do work our damn butts off to do this, but um, we can continue to move in a way of stability and sustainability as opposed to horse girls wondering how they're paying their next meal or their next month's rent. Um, So overall, I think the answer to your question is to continue having these conversations um, and and holding space for things other than just really awkward jokes on our financial situations. Do Do you have good attendance at your networking events in that area? Um, Yeah, so I've held one in person. Um, Well, this time last year, I was gearing up for an in-person retreat that I co-hosted in Florida with. Um, And that was a really incredible time because I think that was 
10 equestrian entrepreneurs throughout North America. And that really started that conversation. Um, and then I was able to continue that up here in Ontario, Canada. Uh, we had a network event in June and that was my first one. And we sold it out at 30 people. Um, and, you know, we network it networked throughout it and at the end we sat down and had a roundtable discussion so I started with some questions to kind of prompt um, answer my own to show hi you know I might be this this horse money lady but I too have struggled and where I am is because of my past um, and then really had those great conversations where people could open up um, and I will be hosting a couple more of those this year that's really good i I very interested in that and to know what the attendance is and to see if people are going to start to get a little more comfortable with talking about finances. I I really think it's one thing that we really need to make changes in the equine industry. So what do you think some of the biggest changes that need to be made in relation to finances are? Ooh, I think the very first one is just that very bottom level of being aware of your finances. Um, the majority of clients that come to me, well, one, the most common piece is that shame, negative emotions to money. But then that second one is they haven't touched it. They haven't looked at it. They haven't started sorting through it because of that emotional side of it. Um, but when we do start diving into it, organizing it. Um, that is where we can then actually change their course. Um, one example of this is I started working with a local eventing lesson sales barn about two years ago. Um, and at that point, you know, we weren't really touching our finances. We had someone doing our year-end accounting by just like pulling receipts and putting it together. Um, but after a year of working together, she was able to make a huge dent in her debt to her income tax to the point that she paid it off. Uh, she's about to be on um, track to pay off her sales tax. Um, and we're going to end the year this year. So our second year working together, um, her second year of really turning finances around and she will have savings in the bank, debt paid down. She'll probably have a new horse underway. Um, so that's a part of our plan as well for her riding. Um, so being aware really makes that situation start to change where as opposed to being like, hi, money is really scary. I'm going to push it off start to connect with it. Um, and that allows you to then begin that change. Otherwise, how do we change anything if we're not on the horse, right? Or if we're not doing things in the ring or in the barn? Um, the same thing with entering the barn is the way to progress as an equestrian. Entering your books is the way to progress as an equestrian entrepreneur. Yeah, I think <laughs> that first step is is the big scary one. And then do you find that most people, once they get into it and break it down, feel like it's um, less intimidating and that they're able to, you know, put the emotion aside and and be able to work through it more? Absolutely. Because once you walk through that emotion, then it's process and tasks. Um, and so we set up a system for you. We then support how to use that because QuickBooks Online is incredible, guys. But unless you know how to use it, it's like yeah. going expecting you to jump on your first lesson. Um, and then it's just we're not walking through the emotions in that big, scary piece anymore. It's 
hi, I step in and I, I update my bookkeeping. I say, I take photos of my receipts. I do X, Y, and Z, as opposed to being like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm just going to not do anything because mm-hmm. what? Right. And um, what is your strategy to check the financial health of a business? How do you um, work with people in that starting point? Okay. So I like this question. Uh, so I do three main areas of like a health check-in um, and that will one be your financial reports. So ideally we have bookkeeping reports. If not, our first piece is to organize and get those reports available. Uh, so we're looking in at your profit and loss um, and we're identifying how much we're bringing in, you know, where is your money coming in from? Because being able to tell if it comes from boarding, lessons, um, sales, if that is your type of business or, you know, what products are actually selling and creating profit and following that all the way down to see if we are breaking even, if we are making a profit. Um, and then I also check your actual bank accounts because profit on a report does not mean profit in your bank account because our cash flow, so actual money coming into our bank and actual money leaving our bank um, is different than us saying we made a sales of X amount of money this month. Um, so we check your financial reports, we check your bank accounts, and then I always like to do a financial mindset check in where we are seeing like how is your mental health on the side of finances? You know, is your sleep improving? Are we feeling less stressed around? there. Um, when I say money or ask you about your bookkeeping, or do you stop breathing still? What's happening on that side of things? Um, because a successful equestrian entrepreneur is one that has money in the bank, yes, but one that is also happy and healthy. Um, so those are the three main areas where we're looking for. Um, my, at this point, the majority of my clients, we are looking at breaking even and profiting. Um, And that has been our focus, especially with this financial or this economic situation we are in currently um, and that we're going to continue probably experiencing till the end of this year, uh, a minimum, is making sure that we have enough money in the bank to cover these bills, but also know that we can have enough money in the bank to afford ourselves some opportunities to grow our business during this recession. Yeah, those are really great points. I, I and I love that you address how people are feeling, not just yeah. you know the the basic numbers of what they're doing in their business. So, um, yeah, I mean anybody can go and use QuickBooks, but if it's still keeping you up at night, then <laughs> having help with that would be um, a great asset. And I think putting like the systems in place to kind of like set it and forget forget it is helpful because we get wrapped up in it so much. Um, and a lot of times we're we're looking too far out and not looking at, okay, what is the process that's going to set this up to make it easy for me so I can forget about it and I'm not worried about it all the time and constantly dwelling on it. And I think that it's not just in finances. I think that's in any kind of habit. And I do think that mindset is an important factor in all of it. I think addressing it and um, and being able to, like you said, move beyond that point of where you're, you can let it go by itself and and not be, but that you're also still 
aware of everything at the same right. time. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean forget it like you don't ever think about it. I certainly right. know that it's it's there, but you know, uh I've been listening to some different podcasts about various topics like this and them saying that putting in the systems will should help you ease your mind mm. while you're going through it. Part of this, like so when I'm walking a client through, ideally we start with the understanding. So let's get the bookkeeping basics and what we need to do for compliance and understand that, hi guys, we absolutely do need invoices for every service or every product that we sell. Um, it's not just enough to say we sold $800 worth of products in January. Um, and then from there, let's go set up your QuickBooks online. Let's get an actual software system in place and then streamline it because there's so much that can be automated, uh, but then still have that human touch in there to make sure that the process in the process cycle is being completed. Do you find people being guarded when you first start working with them and wanting to keep that information to themselves? Absolutely. Uh, so I always ask for my clients to bring a cup of coffee, a cup of tea to their first meeting. And I start and I'll just say casual conversation, um, literally as we are talking today back and forth. And I will pick out pieces. Um, you know, I'll ask questions. I literally tell them I am poking and prodding you today. Um, and so I'm going to ask these questions answer them as you feel. Um, and I will pick up pieces, you know, whether someone hesitates or the tone of their voice changes. Um, and I will take notes. I always take notes. Um, and I will go back and dive deeper into their pieces, whether once they feel willing and able to. Um, I'm never someone, even as a person, as a friend, I'm not someone who's going to, you know, you tell me something, I'm going to be like, tell me more. I'm just going to stay here, hold this space for you. And what you're willing to share with me, um, please do. And then of course I do ask what I need to know. Um, and we take it away from it being shameful. Like I, before I started this business a year before I was in a lot of short-term debt. Um, my, credit card and my checking was a constant rotation revolving door of money going in and out. Um, so I like to meet the equestrian entrepreneur where they are at the same way that we, you know, ride the horse that's under us the day that we are riding that horse. And from that conversation, are you able to develop a clear picture of what their finances look like? Or do you have to dive in a little deeper? Only if they have a clear understanding. Um, so, you know, this is where okay. I'll ask about their revenue. Um, I'll ask about their financial pain points, um, their dreams, and what's stopping them. Because if you start to ask about their dreams and the good happy pieces, oh, well, what is holding you back on that? Money? finances, limited resources, time, um, and then get into a conversation like that. So it's not like you're sitting down in a gray room um, on a ch chair talking to, you know, a stereotypical financial advisor um, or a banker. You know, we all get really scared thinking about going into a bank account. I am a horse girl um, who was in a very bad financial position um, and had to change that in order to go back after my dreams. Um, and I was a, a horse girl that had to choose between university and a working student position because I was told my horses would always be there. Um, and I learned a very painful and hard way that horses won't always be there. Um, and I, I started this business 
and the um, purpose of changing how we operate in the horse world so that, you know, a horse girl and equestrian can choose both passion and profit and not be told, hey, you got to go to university because there's no money in horses. Do you think that there's a place for a bookkeeper in, say, a groom's life or somebody who's not actually running a business? Ooh, Ooh. Okay. Um, yes, I think there could be room for a bookkeeper depending on, you know, the capacity that they run at, um, their lifestyle as well. Um, what I have created is a program called CECO Mentorship, which brings in part-time bookkeeper, part-time business coach, where you can sit down with me on a quarterly basis and we go over your bookkeeping. So any open questions you have in your QuickBooks, we go and finish. So your bookkeeping is up to date and then we can then pull those financial reports and grow your business from that standpoint. Work on your sales messaging and offers and psychology and process, but first make sure that financial foundation of bookkeeping is there. Um, So I'm not sure if a full-time bookkeeper is plausible for a lot of grooms, um, but I'm sure that there is some very busy ones that could be supported from the side of time and profitability with them. Um, but if not, that that part-time bookkeeper side, I've, I created that program with the idea that not every equestrian entrepreneur is going to need a bookkeeper at full service. It's funny that you know the the way we're talking about it is similar to a conversation we've had with people about sales and how much psychology is a part of sales. And (laughs) you don't think of it as being a part of, you know, bookkeeping or financial advising or, um, you know, uh, helping people with their business, but it it truly is. And and being there to um, listen and support and help people through the process, I think is as much about psychology than as it is you know the the basics of the math (laughs) when I got into this business I didn't think bookkeeping was going to be the core I thought I was going to be teaching on it Uh, you know it would be some reoccurring revenue there Um, but I didn't believe that that was what I was going to be fully doing because I really was just finishing up school with business analysis um, and was working on that but I noticed I couldn't actually make a change in a business unless I was taking care of that money. Um, so I can make bigger changes, quicker changes if I am first and always focusing on that profit, on that money, because money goes through every single part of your business. Um, so we better make sure that you got a good foundation, that it supports you throughout all your other departments and areas of your business. How many clients do you service now? Uh, throughout Canada and the U.S., uh, we have about 23 bookkeeping clients. We just had a few off-boarded at the end of 23. Um, and then I have another 20 uh, mentorship clients. So that bookkeeping mentorship program I was just talking about. Um, so we normally average around 50 clients um, between the mentorship and the bookkeeping. And then I do offer one-off consults. Um, so every once in a while, I will have a new face pop in as well. Do you see a difference between your Canadian clients and the U.S. clients? I was just going to ask that. (laughs) Yes. And I'm Canadian, so this is always, it's not odd to talk about, but it's very uh, out perspective, I guess. Uh, The way we handle 
and treat money up here in Canada is very scarce uh, mentality where, or, and we also take a longer process of departing with our money. And that is just a general overall. Um, also doesn't help that we've been in a really bad financial situation for the last couple of years and it's just continuing to feel, you know, heavier and heavier. Um, but I have more American clients than I do Canadian at this point. Um, they are more open to um, outsourcing the ability to walk work it into their budget. Um, you know, like on average, my bookkeeping service is um, per month. And, you know, for some, that's a group lesson or, you know, three bodywork sessions or a few products. And they are able to, their mindset to be able to outsource, not just justify, but then also leverage that they don't have to do their bookkeeping and can make more money. Um, That mindset seems very more abundant in Americans than it does Canadians. Um, And also the market size in the U.S. as opposed to Canada is just drastic, right? Um, So definitely a massive, not like a massive, but a big difference between the Canadians and the Americans. And is there a difference financially or anything technically that you have to do between between Canada and the U.S.? Not necessarily Uh, from the side of like, you know, opening a business, keeping it going, completing our taxes. Yes, there is some mild differences, but overall the process is pretty much the same. Um, And then the profitability between the two countries. Uh, Yes, the U.S. normally does have more revenue, um, but that doesn't necessarily always mean they have more profit on their businesses. Um, But I do always love side of America because you guys have the LLCs, the S-Corps. There's more business structures and opportunities in the U.S. and up here in Canada. I also find that the support um, that you get from both the government and the economy and citizens is a lot different in the U.S. as opposed to in Canada as well. Hmm. I have a question about You've talked about the economy a couple of times. Do you think there are things that people need to be doing right now to get their bookkeeping in line or in terms of money uh, for the economy as it is or where it's headed? This has been a topic I've not avoided fully on purpose, but I've been very careful about what I've been saying and what kind of information I put out there because, you know, we hear economy, we hear recession, we get scared. Um, and, and rightfully so like, um, up here in Canada, I saw a box of cereal for $10 the other day. Um, and so it's really drastic on the side of affordability just on life. And then you add horses on top of that. What businesses should be doing is what they should be doing any other time of, of a, an economy, an economic cycle is doing their bookkeeping, being aware of, of their finances, collecting on their AR, um, making sure they have a good profit plan to be able to pay their bills on time. Um, but that I never want to be talking about the economy and, you know, right now that our word recession as a scary part because businesses can leverage opportunities throughout recessions and come out way better and bigger um, if bigger is what they even want at the end of a recession. Um, I would be very 
I mean, yeah, no, I would be very careful about where you are putting your money right now um, and making sure that if you are able to, you know, put expenses in the side that we can go to a different supplier and find the same thing for a better price um, that we are tracking. You know, if we are running a lesson barn that we know that each horse is working and what their expenses are because QuickBooks can really help you with that. I say right now, your best bet about this is information and data to be able to know where you are financially and then be able to change that. Um, but also being able to have your bookkeeping available so that if you do need funding or if you're looking for funding, you can then go and get that without that being not an option. Because if you haven't filed your taxes in seven years, you haven't done your bookkeeping ever, going and asking for support and help just isn't going to be realistic and it's not going to be the answer you want it to be. Yeah, we, we've had that conversation with before with another guest who had said there's been parts where she's had to say to somebody, we can't do it right now, but we need to have a plan. And then in a year from now, we can relook at it, you know, if you stuck to the plan. So it's probably better to have that in place before you go in. Absolutely. Um, and then from, you know, the traditional standpoint of an equestrian business where we're, we're in a barn, um, Everyone right now is, you know, we want to we want to make progress in our business, but at the very minimum, we need to be able to keep your business alive. Um, I, that is my goal and job for 2024 is one, making sure that I can find opportunities for my clients to grow in this economy, but overall keeping them alive so that they can grow after um, is my my biggest job this year. And do you work with more than just uh, riding barns? Do you have uh, like retail businesses? That you work yeah, uh, we work with a vast variety of equestrian entrepreneurs, which keeps my brain so happy. Um, we'll have equine products like blankets. Um, we have a couple equestrian clothing stores body workers. Um, we have, you know, the traditional teachers. Um, then you'll have your riding coaches and sales um, programs. Rider, uh, A lot of eventing riders have been who we've been working with because you're trying to chase these big giant goals, but you, you need some big giant funding behind you to support and fund that to happen. Um, and then we even have clients on the side of more holistic um you know, training, positivity, education. Uh, so it is a very big change of to clients, as well as we also have farriers. Um, I just brought on a racing program client. Uh, so there is a, a large amount. And I always love working with a diverse amount so that we can see what was also happening in the economy and horses overall. The Equestrian Businesswomen Networking Brunch is back in Wellington for 2024 on January 21st. Bigger and better than ever, attendees can expect a keynote speaker, a panel discussion with experts in the industry, and more ways to learn about yourself, your business, and how other equestrian businesswomen can become your support group. The EQBW Networking Brunch offers a unique opportunity for equestrian businesswomen from any type of business to meet, mingle, talk, and listen with incredible brunch food, champagne, and an ice cream bar. Mark your calendar and join us on January 21st, 2024. Buy your ticket today at eqbusinesswomen.com. 
you're looking at bookkeeping and um, and how to keep track of things, and you said like invoice for everything, how do you manage when um, clients barter for things, and how do you, how does that work on the balance sheet? Yes, um, how it should work is that. <laughs> <laughs> a client will create a invoice in their QuickBooks, um, and then we're able to apply a credit memo to that invoice for whatever amount of work. So let's say a client has a training invoice for $550 for the month, um, and then their clients power washed their barn, uh, and that was valued at $400 a month. We would apply that credit memo, and they would pay the difference of that invoice Um to the the business there. So that is how it should be done. Yeah. I think in this industry, a lot of things happen where they just don't keep track of it and, or they consider it a one for one trade when it probably isn't, you know, how much time and effort and money goes into say taking care of a lesson horse and you giving lessons for free to someone who's doing something for you that only takes them, you know, a couple of hours is not an equal trade. Um, so I think that's really something for people to recognize when they when they do barter things is that they're valuing themselves correctly. So I really love this because I was just talking about, oh, I was talking about this to myself, so I guess I was thinking about it, is <laughs> that knowing, like, if we want to know the true cost of running an equestrian business, an equine business in the horse world, how can we expect ourselves to actually know that if we have no idea of the expenses? Because we and the revenue that we're making because we're not capturing these bartering pieces, we're not paying these working students, we're not doing these different pieces, is how do we actually turn this ship around if we don't know what is on the ship? Yeah, and or what's coming on and leaving the ship. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I think of so many people who barter, you know, rides for horses places and, you know, not having the true cost of that to reflect in their books. I would also think that at some point those would be helpful to have in there if you are going to look for a loan, if you are trying to mm -hmm. see a full picture of what your business is leaving that kind of stuff off doesn't really show your full picture, like you said, and we really need to see that so that you know the value of your business. And are you getting a uh, good trade? Like is shipping three horses for a person who's only shipping one for you? Is that really a fair trade? Mm -hmm. And that I think ties into the first question of talking about money and talking about finances sorry the second question um and how people aren't comfortable talking about money like they'll just say oh yeah i'll do that for you no problem we can trade it they don't want to say i'm sorry i'm worth more than you or what i'm doing is worth more than what you're doing for me that's an uncomfortable conversation to have at least it would be for me to say you know i you know whatever i have 20 years of experience in this industry and you know, everything that goes into that in writing a press release for you is worth more than what you're doing for me. So I, I would find, I would think some people have difficulty with that. So I, I've learned a couple of lessons in business in my three years. Um, and then one is that 
I've tried bartering a few times um, with different people, contracts in place, you know, all the right things that should be there. Um, and that to me, I am at the point where I'm just going to pay people. Hi, what's your yeah. that service you want? Please let me pay for it. And if you want a service from me from some point, just pay for it. Um, and I, I, I'm someone who loves to encourage the money I make to be kept in the equestrian industry and spent throughout it. Um, but I am just going to send you my money. You send me mine. Um, and if you want to work with me, as opposed to also feeling like someone comes up to you and offers a bartering, that you should do that from a value of economic side of things, um, as opposed to one, do you actually want the service and is it going to help your business? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I'll never, I think people value things differently in their mind too. And that's where it can get you into trouble. My, I remember distinctly one time my husband borrowed somebody's horse trailer, used it like they had, I don't know, maybe half a tank of gas or something. So he used it and he replaced the gas, but he replaced the gas that he used. And she was so mad at him for not filling up her truck after like all the way after she had borrowed it meanwhile this is somebody who my husband has been had been working back and forth with and bartering rides here and there and it just happened that she didn't need something so he just borrowed the trailer and he was really upset that she was so mad at him for not filling up the trailer he's like i (laughs) you know i left it exactly the way i found it basically and she was expecting more and so i think that that is where you run into trouble where you just you know, value it what way in your mind and people value it mm-hmm. another in theirs. And expectations it, are different on either side. Yeah, absolutely. I find it also starts like a tick for tack mentality as well. Right. Yeah. You know, like, like as you were saying, that tick for tack might be of different value to each of us. Um, and it's and in a world where friendships and business partnerships are already intertwined and messy enough, um, keeping that part where, hi, if you're my friend and you're also my client or a business colleague, I don't have to have that extra problem weight of us bartering services or if we haven't exchanged things back properly on my, my shoulders as well. This also comes back to us constantly reiterating the fact that you need to have contracts in place with people. Yes, I think that's where people run into so many problems. And I, I just recently had a friend who had some major issues of leaving a job, been there for a long time. Everything was like verbally agreed, agreed. on mm-hmm. and nothing in writing. And fortunately, she's on the upside of it. But it was a little bit iffy there for a while because, like she said, you never think that you're going to leave a place. And I'm like, mm, you always have to be prepared for that, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And also like contracts that are legally drafted, whether they're a template right. from a lawyer or made for you um, from a lawyer, as opposed to, you know, putting it on from Google, um, that extra money that you, yes, investing in the contracts is money, um, but what it protects from for you is worth that amount and it actually will hold up as opposed to the piece you put together your client kind of signed kind of didn't um and having to worry about that so from what i've learned in investing in those contracts there's pieces in there that cover your butt that i can't even imagine because i'm not a bookie or i'm not a lawyer i'm a bookkeeper and so i shouldn't have to know or worry about those pieces Mm -hmm. right and talking about um 
the difference between a bookkeeper and like a CPA or accountant? Can you go over the general differences? Yes. Um, so your CPA is your chartered professional accountant. Um, they went through university schooling, um, hours of work experience in order to get a designation. Um, and they are the accountants that you want for your tax filing, for creating your incorporations, um, perhaps for working on those bigger, you know, you want someone for really high level funding. Uh, CPAs, accountants, those are your go-tos, um, especially for filing. I am someone who does not mess around with that um, on the side of filing. Uh, and those are your accounting tasks. You'll also see an abundance of businesses, especially in our space, who are calling themselves something, something accounting. Um, and what they actually are is something, something bookkeeping with an accounting name because they don't do the tasks of an accountant. Um, but also if you are listening and you are an accountant, please let me know because I have a bunch of referrals for that side of things. Um, mm-hmm. But where a keeper comes into place is your everyday tasks. You know, we are recording your everyday financial story, making sure you're compliant with it. Um, there is a bookkeeping cycle where, you know, we take care of your bookkeeping month to month. We reconcile, meaning we make it match what your bank statements are. We make it true. We make it real. Um, And then your accountant will come in, whether it's for sales tax, if you need that support um, or income tax or your incorporation or LLC obligations. That is the side of accounting. Whereas bookkeeping, I am more data entry. Um, Yes, I am totally capable of analyzing and pulling from those financial reports, but that's more so from experience and further education than it is necessarily from a bookkeeping um, role. But that is really the difference between accountant, CPA, um, and bookkeeper. Got it. Yeah, I think that's important for people to realize the difference. And, you know, they may need one or the other for at various times. I've been trying to get them into the routine of having an accountant and a bookkeeper um, because, you know, I come through here I've all throughout the year and keep your books updated. But at the end of the year, if you don't have an accountant, uh, we're just kind of not file, filing and continuing. <laughs> How often do you work with a CPA? Pretty darn often. Um, at this point, I think I only have a couple more clients to find an accountant for. Um, but especially right now, I'm dealing with accountants on a daily basis to get out your 1099s, to get out your T4s, all these different pieces for year end. Um, but I really do love to have an accountant with every client we bring on. Yeah. Do you find it helpful if the client, if the accountant is versed in equine? Oh, helpful. Yes, because I want them to always be looking for tax strategies I'm not aware of um, and help on that side of things because I really do lean on accountants on the side of tax strategy um, and also really detailed compliance. Uh, So having that, I do believe, adds that extra layer of tax protection as well as strategy. Um, I don't necessarily think it is a 
Same thing with bookkeeping. I don't think it is a do or die to have an equestrian um, accountant, an equestrian bookkeeper. I think it's really helpful from the side of if you don't have your stuff together, I can go in and I know, you know, you go to a feed store. I know that what that can go for or, you know, shavings, where that goes for in your chart of accounts for organization. Um, But expenses, cost for goods, incomes, the terms are all the same when it comes to accountants or bookkeepers. Where the terminology really changes is from the client. Um, And so we're giving an experience for equestrian entrepreneurs for equestrian bookkeeping because they don't need to explain all these pieces to us. They don't need to justify that what they are doing is actually a business because it's generating income. Um, And we can also help with the language and differences between their accountant and themselves if their accountant is in horsey. Um, So to answer, I don't think it is an absolute requirement to have a horsey bookkeeper or accountant. I do think, of course, it is nice. Um, And as someone who likes to keep money within the economy of horses, that is also keeping it, but it is not a do or die. Yeah, I have an accountant who's versed in horses and it has helped out, helped me out tremendously and my husband as well. It just, there is so much that you don't have to explain to them that they get, which is nice. And how long does it typically take for your clients to change their finances if things are, you know, in a less than ideal situation? Yeah. So I was thinking of how to answer this really well. Um, <laughs> And I'm going to take the average. On average, it takes us three months of working with me to consistently change your habits for your finances. So for your financial management and your mindset, but that doesn't necessarily mean absolute changes in your bank account yet. Um, And so that three months for habit changes or for us to make a big dent in your bookkeeping and get it caught up, make a process, a systems in there for you. Um, But I would say it's going to take probably six to 12 months of that habits continuing um, and allowing that money to, you know, pay off the debt, collect into your savings account. It does take a little bit of a while, but three months on average is when we start to change those habits of your money management and mindset. Should people be looking at their bookkeeping and all of that every day? Or how often do you think people should be checking in? Because I've, we've had somebody say on this podcast before, like you need to know every day where your finances are, which is so overwhelming to me that I like, I couldn't imagine. So I just, you know, just on the bookkeeping side of things, like what do you recommend? Yeah. Um, I try to keep the overwhelm down. Um, yeah. It does not happen. There's Habits just- don't change when you're overwhelmed. You rely on what you've always done Yeah, and what's right. comfortable. And we, you know, some of us work with horses, some of us don't. I always say there's money making with horses and money making in horses. Um, But for that, absolutely, um, probably not once a day. I do say in, so there's an ideal world and then there's reality. Um, In an ideal world, I would love you looking at your bookkeeping once a week. Um, So you you schedule a meeting um, and have that. But in a reality at minimum, you should be doing once a month. Um, so you can go in, update your bookkeeping, remind your clients to pay you, send your, expense, yeah. your payments to your own vendors. Um, and 
also see what your financial system is. So at minimum, once per month, ideally once per week. And these week pieces can be chunked down. Hi, week one, I'm only going to update invoice payments. Week two, I'm only going to do these pieces, or I'm only going to give myself 30 minutes. And in that, I can do any of these tasks and then I walk away from my bookkeeping or I walk away from my, my money for that day. Um, but make it realistic. Do things that you can actually achieve and then put it into your phone as a reminder, a scheduled event, or else it just doesn't happen. Um, you know, when I started my business, I used to, you know, chuckle about having to live out of a calendar. And now if it's not in my calendar, it literally does not happen. <laughs> yeah, same. Yep, absolutely. I'm the same yeah. way. I, I like that idea, though, of of making it a meeting time for yourself every week or because, you know, time gets away from you so fast and there's so many other things going on that pull your attention, especially if you're a business owner. So, yeah, make schedule it and set it and set the habit of meeting yourself and getting it done. Yeah, just like you would a lesson if you're at a lesson barn, right? You put it right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this this next question is a little bit tricky, and I'm going to kind of walk you through the thought process I was having when I was thinking about it. Because what I want to know is if you've ever had a client that you recognize isn't qualified to be at the level that they're trying to be at and what you have to do if if they aren't qualified, maybe kind of bring, bringing back to reality. And I was thinking about when you were talking about having some eventers uh, as your clients and, you know, if they have aspirations that are much higher than what they're actually qualified to go and do, how do you deal with that? Okay. And I've, I've sat on this question too. I thought it was a very good <laughs> question um, but and how to answer this. So I'm going to answer it in a couple ways, I think. Um, have I had a client that wasn't qualified to run their business at the level that they thought or that they were? Um, I'm going to say yes, but more so on the side of qualified for capacity um, is I have a bunch of clients that would run their business at a capacity well beyond what they're qualified, what they're capable of doing. Um, and what we've had to do with that is have, like, again, everything starts with me, a really vulnerable, honest conversation. Um, you know, we go over their business, finances, operations, failures, successes. Um, I put my hat, my business analysis hat on for the conversation. I'm pulling those pieces, like I said. Um, but when it comes to qualifications, Oh boy. I see this more on the side of body workers than I do on the side of eventers. Um, And this is in absolute general here, but with body work specifically, you know, you get in it because you want to help horses, whether it's with massage or PEMF or Beamer or all these other modalities. Um, And you, you take a weekend course and then go on out with it. And I think that bodywork in itself, one, this is kind of opinion, but also totally factual, is you are going <laughs> and and helping horses, but with those machines and with your hands, you can do harm. Um, yeah. And as someone who from the get-go has been working with bodyworkers, saddle fitters, farriers, um, I've had my eyes 
really, really open to the reality of our horses in sport and also not in our sport, in the industry in whole. Um, and I absolutely have had to have the conversations of, you know, should we be offering at this level or this service or could we go for more education? And also here are some great, you know, how can I help you get that education? Who can I refer you to? Who can I have you have a conversation with who's a body worker that's been in the industry for 10 20 years so that you as a newbie can, you as a newbie, yeah, that is true as well. Um, Have a conversation with someone who has that experience. Um, But then also we never want to start a business out and not give value. Um, And if you are a body worker or you are anything in this industry, horse people have the ability to sniff BS out. Um, And I think there's a difference between having the qualifications for your business and being qualified for your business. Um, You know, as we're talking about CPA and bookkeeper, as a bookkeeper, you do not have to have qualifications. Um, And if you have the education and experience, I don't believe that it makes a difference in the service that you're providing if you are providing the right proper service. However, if you are going to be a bookkeeper and not provide the right service or the right value, then then you're not qualified and you also don't have the qualifications. Uh, So I think capacity, qualifications, and being qualified are very different in there. Um, But at the end of the day, if you are not qualified for running your business at any capacity, um, your finances are going to reflect it yourself, you are going to feel it um, because it's going to feel misaligned. You're going to have that imposter syndrome syndrome because of where you are and where you're projecting you are is very different. And you're having to fill that gap with maybe some fancy marketing, maybe with some false confidence. Um, And I'm someone who I like to offer my services, um, but I also like to get my confidence from lived experience. Um, And so education and building that experience out from there adds on to that qualification piece. Um, But yeah, to answer your question here is, you know, yes, I've had clients who, whether it was qualifications or capacity, weren't able to run their business at that level but they knew it because they were reaching out to me with some type of financial pain point. Um, Maybe they just didn't know the exact answer. And it's not always, hey, we're stepping your business back forever. We're stepping your business back so that you can get the profit there, so you can get the education there or the systems in place um, and then move forward to there. Um, One thing I think equestrians are great at is learning. Um, One thing I also think, another thing I think we're great at is life long learning. Um, But sometimes we lack the patience in getting to those spots. Um, And that is when we can get in over our heads. No, I think that's a good answer. The capacity part uh, I find really interesting because most people kind of don't realize they're in under their heads from a capacity standpoint until it's like way far gone and you're like oh my god I can't do this anymore <laughs> yeah. um but you know having somebody who's looking at the financial reports and saying you know you might need to step it back a bit because you're overextending yourself and you're not getting 
the money isn't coming in for the the hours that you're putting out um, is something truly helpful for a business owner to have. Yeah, basically, you're not getting an ROI. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's nice to have somebody tell you that. Right. Um, One piece I will add on there is that bigger doesn't always mean better. Um, And definitely from that capacity qualification side of things is, you know, you might start trying, hmm, this is one piece I just said, is you cannot outgrow or outscale the negative aspects of your business. And that means not making money. So if you just scale up your business and you're expecting that to fix your profitability side of things, it will actually normally put you further into the red. Um, so that is is one piece there as well. Well, I look at it at sales we we look at it, a lot of sales models are you get 80% of your revenue from 20% of your clients. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And usually uh, what I've always heard is the, uh, the 80% of the clients that are providing 20% of the revenue are also the biggest pains in the butt to deal with. <laughs> the ones who are giving you less money are usually harder to deal with. So... <laughs> <laughs> that is um, absolutely true. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Krista, I think this was a really fun and informative discussion. And thank you so much for coming on today. And um, at the end of each episode, we ask the same four questions to each guest. And Connor starts with the first What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Uh, A simple one is reading some financial mindset books um, to help improve their money mindset and management skills. Ooh, that's good. Do you have a recommendation of your favorite? Ooh, I do. Okay. Um, It is called Rich as Buck, but replace the B with an F. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It is written by Amanda Francis. Um, and it just talks about so much about money and women and how we never ask for, you know, what we are valued at, what we are worth, um, how we don't think we should be wealthy or rich or all these pieces. It is a, my first book I read on financial mindset, money mindset, and is still one of, it was still my top recommendation. Awesome. Cool. And what's the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Uh, my best habit is money meetings. So every Monday I start with a money meeting um, and it is just a 45 minute meeting with myself that I was talking about. I update my bookkeeping. I open up all my bank accounts, look at the situations they're in, see what this week is going to bring. And then it sets me up for the entire week ahead. That's great. Yeah. Do you have a favorite horse movie? Ooh, I was thinking about this. Not horse movie, but horse show. Um, and that would be Heartland. Okay. <laughs> you had to go with the Canadian one. <laughs> <laughs> and who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast? Ooh, I was thinking on this as well. And I was thinking Lucy from Sapphire Sport Horses. Uh, she is a dressage coach and rider, as well as a mom who is just a great example of equestrian entrepreneurship and motherhood. Awesome. That's great. Well, thanks again, Krista. We enjoyed talking with you and learning more. And there's some really great information in there. 
Thank you for having me. And I love the conversations like these. Uh, I was happy to have them with both of you. I thought that was a really um, useful conversation with Krista. Um, you know, as we like to have from our guests is really concrete tips and information that people can take away. Uh, and I thought she was really uh, forthright about everything. And like, you know, what we talked about of people needing to be more open about their finances. Um, and I thought she had a lot of helpful information. Yeah, she really gave us some good tips. I think that she was made it seem very comfortable to be able to talk about your finances, which is what I really like because I think so many people struggle with talking about finances because they're not comfortable with it. And she has really embraced it and become comfortable. And I feel like she probably makes her clients very comfortable in pulling out the information that she needs in order to analyze everything. So I really enjoyed listening to her talk and she made me feel comfortable about a, a topic that is pretty traditionally uncomfortable. For sure. Um, one point that I, I left that I thought was interesting was uh, comparing Canadians and Americans. Um, yes. And she talked about like the Americans understanding that they need to you know, give up their time or, you know, give up giving a lesson or um, doing a session in order to give that time to her um, and, yes. and to get their, their financial records straight. Um, whereas the Can Canadians weren't as uh, likely to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was interesting because I yeah. wouldn't have thought that either. Um, but yeah, I liked her take on a lot of things. Yeah, I I liked her take a little bit on the economy as well and what you need to do to kind of prepare for it because I think that's a super relevant topic right now. And I think that's a, a in the back of a lot of people's minds. And, you know, sometimes I feel like the equestrian people don't stay up on relevant topics like that. No. <laughs> Like, there's a war happening? What do you mean? Right. Um, like, we talked about it before, living in a silo, right? And not, yeah. not looking at what's going on outside that might actually affect what's going on in the business. Right. So I enjoyed her perspective of that. And I do feel like she was super honest about a lot of things, too. Mm -hmm. As you'll find when she's talking, she kind of thinks about it for a second and might say, no, that, that actually is right that's yeah facts, or that's <laughs> absolutely where i feel like that let her guard down mm, yeah talk about it. for sure um uh, it was a good talk and i think uh it'll be cool to see her in person at the equestrian business women networking brunch which is coming up soon um so go buy your ticket if you haven't yet and join us in wellington yeah, absolutely. And maybe pick Krista's brain if you're there. Yeah, it's a great opportunity for networking with her and so many other people um, at the brunch. And on that note, we have another meeting to get to. So find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. 
You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now, go increase your financial health. 